Good morning. We are so glad that you were at Central Church on this day. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. We're in a sermon series called 24. We're looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life before his crucifixion leading up to our Good Friday service, which is one of my favorite services of the year. If you haven't been here for Good Friday, it's a very different service than any other service we do in the entire year. We bring out the big cross, we put it right in the middle, and everything else is mostly darkened out, as, and, and the service gets increasingly darker as we go through uh, uh, that, that service, remembering the day in which Jesus died. And we end mostly in darkness. And I carry out the, the Christ candle. And it is just a powerful, powerful service. Especially when then Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day comes. And it's the exact opposite. We enter on Sunday in rejoicing what God has done. And the, and the power of the resurrection. So I love it. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming in just two weeks. I like when I'm reading through the Gospels, see how, you know, the Gospels are all telling the story from their perspective, and they don't always all tell the same stories, and this is one that only Matthew tells. I think Matthew is the champion of second choices, and Matthew is saying, you know how Peter, Peter denied Jesus, and and Judas denied Jesus too, and, and you could make a case that Peter's denial was worse than Judas' denial. I mean, Peter denied, denied Jesus Three times to, you know, people who had no power, no influence, no anything. And that's who he denied him to. Judas denied him to the powerful, came to realize that that was a bad decision, tried to take it back, couldn't, and took his own life. So it didn't have to end that way for Judas. Is anyone here, we, we all know Jesus, and anyone here think that Jesus would not have forgiven Judas had Judas come to him? Of course he would have forgiven him. What was Peter's question long before? Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 77 times. Does anyone here think that if Judas came back to Jesus, what is it, Jesus, man, I don't know what I was thinking. You know it, I know it. Jesus would have welcomed him back. Of course he would have. And I think Matthew's point is, didn't have to end that way. Judas could have come back. And I wish we had more time this morning. We've got to get to Pilate. But here's what you need to hear. Maybe some folks online at home need to hear this. I think there's some folks that can relate to Judas. When life gets overwhelming, when you feel like you've, you've failed, you've failed God, you've failed your family, you've failed yourself, And there may be even some folks here that are so overwhelmed by life circumstances that they are right where Judas is. He's saying, I don't even know if I want to go on living. So hear me, this is so important. If you can relate, know this, take it serious. Get help. Maybe that's calling your counselor or a therapist or a pastor. Go to McLaren Hospital. Get help. And know this, most of all, Jesus loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made, doesn't matter how far you've fallen, Jesus loves you. He will welcome you back. Your life matters. Your life desperately matters to Jesus Christ. And if you're at the end of your rope, and you think it's over, and you think where you've gone too far, you've crossed some imaginary line, you've not gone too far. It didn't have to end that way for Judas. 
all right, we got to get to where we're supposed to get, and that's in Matthew, Matthew 27. They take Jesus from Caiaphas' place. It's about a quarter of a mile from where Caiaphas lived, Caiaphas' house, where they think Caiaphas lived, to where Pilate was, Pilate's residence. Pilate's residence was a place called Antonio Fortress. It was the, the resident of the governor. It was also a military fortress. It was located adjacent to the temple, which did not make the religious leaders happy, by the way. It didn't make the people of Israel happy that the, that the powerful Roman Empire had put their garrison on such a holy place next to the temple. That was a point of serious contention. And so they dragged Jesus to Pilate's residence and they throw him in front of Jesus. Verse 11, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, Pilate, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Now you need to understand where Pilate is coming from. Um, the Roman Empire was huge during the first century. Think of the, the Mediterranean Sea and all the surrounding uh, land around the Mediterranean Sea was part of the Roman Empire. So all of modern Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, uh, most of the Middle East, Iraq, Iran, all of that, Israel, of course, all part of the Roman Empire. Huge geographical area. And so that tiny little sliver of Israel was not a choice location to be uh, the governor of your Roman Empire. Because it was, you know, the, their customs were strange, and the people had a lot of rules, and, and they didn't really want to say that Caesar was Lord, and, and they refused to use the money at times because it had Caesar's uh, face stamped on it, and they had this rule about no graven images. And so it was really, it, was really, it wasn't very Roman. It was a hard place to be the governor, and the governor's job only had two jobs. Here's the job description if you're the governor of Israel. Keep the peace, collect the taxes. That's it. If you can keep the peace, collect the taxes, then you're good to go. And so, so for Pilate, maybe he thought this would be a stepping stone. Who knows? But here he is. And it's Passover weekend, one of the worst weekends. If you're the Roman governor, it's one of the worst weekends of the year. In fact, you could make the case that it is the worst weekend of the year. The city is crowded. Original sin was still real back then, and so when a, crowd, a city was crowded, even though they're religious uh, coming to make sacrifices, uh, they're coming into the city, and they're pickpockets, and there's crime, and there's noise, and there's all the things that happen when a city becomes overcrowded. And in Pilate's mind, he's thinking, all I need to do is make it through one more day, one more day, one more day, one more day, and then it'll be the Sabbath, and everybody will go home, and whoo, we survived another year. And yet, in the middle of the night, who's coming in the middle of the night? You never know. You know, I know, when you're woke up in the middle of the night, it's never, ever good news. No one calls you up in the middle of the night and says, hey, guess what? I just won the lottery. You shouldn't play the lottery. Hey, guess what? I just won the lottery. No one can make that call, right? They, they call you in the middle of the night to give you bad news. Knock, knock, knock. Who's at my door? The religious bigwigs. Ah, they're the last people I want to see. They say it's a capital crime. Ah, I don't want to see them. What do they say? They say the guy is claiming to be king of the Jews. When we left Jesus last week with the Sanhedrin, what was their charge against him? Not that he was claiming to be king of the Jews. Their charge was blasphemy. 
But they can't t- bring Jesus to Pilate and say the charge is blasphemy. Why? Because Pilate, in their mind, was a blasphemer. He thought that, that Caesar was Lord. They couldn't pra- drag Jesus in and say, the charge is blasphemy, blasphemer. No! They had to bring him in and say the charge is, he's saying he's the king of the Jews. And we all know, Pilate, that Caesar is king. They never would have said that. You need to understand how hypocritical their statement is. They, ne- they, they loathed saying that Caesar was king. They didn't want to say that. But they're bringing Jesus, they're dragging you. He says he's the king of the Jews. And we all know, Pilate. We all know who's king. It's Caesar, it's Caesar. And Pilate scratched and said, are these guys saying that Caesar's king? After they've been complaining, complaining that the garrison is right next to the temple? After that's always been my headache? So they dragged Jesus before him. Now, Pilate, has, he's been around kings. He's probably had an audience with Caesar a time or two. He's been around kings. And before him is Jesus. Beaten up Jesus. Bloodied. Remember, we left him. They were hitting him. They were spitting on him. They were mocking him. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the question for us is, was, was, which we don't know, we don't know the tone in which he asked it. Was he asking that question sincerely? Was he saying, are you, are you, the, are you the guy that I've been hearing about? Are you the one that, that fed 5,000 people on one occasion and 4,000 on another? Are you the guy that, 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 that healed all these people? in Jerusalem and throughout Judea. Are you that guy? Are you the guy that I heard you turn the water into wine? Is that true? Is that you? Are you the king of the Jews? Or was he asking it uh, sarcastically? Are you? <laughs> the, the Jews deserve a king like you, buddy. Look at you. You're all bloody. You're all a mess. You don't look like you can fight your way out of a wet paper bag. You are exactly who the Jews need. You must be the king of the Jews. Ta-da-da. Bible scholars think that probably it was leaning towards the, f- the second rather than the first. You? You are who is the king of the Jews? The emphasis in Greek seems to be on that first word, you. So Pilate asks him, and of course Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is, is silent. Verse 12, when he, when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate asked him, don't you hear a testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a, to even a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Jesus didn't talk him. Now, John records a little bit more of a conversation that takes place, not much, but a little bit more. Matthew, Mark, Luke only record these four words. It's as you say, what you say so. Why was Jesus silent? Why didn't he, why didn't he defend himself? Did he not defend himself because he knew what was happening? Did he not defend himself because he already saw what was coming? Or maybe, maybe, maybe he didn't defend himself because he knew. He knew the scripture. Passage that we usually read this time of year. From Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Jesus was quiet, intentional, purposeful. He didn't die a disillusioned, you know, prophet. He didn't, he didn't die a, 
uh, like some, some great teacher who was just uh, treated unjustly. That's not Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what was, he was doing. And earlier in Isaiah 53, it says this, Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He knew exactly what he was doing. That's why he had tears of, of, of like blood drops in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew it was coming. Not my will, but your will be done. This wasn't some surprise. This wasn't a shock. He knew exactly what was going down. He could, at one word, he could have called, what, those 72,000 angels to come and rescue him if he wanted. He knew exactly what was going on. It wasn't, it wasn't Pilate's edict. It wasn't the Roman nails that kept him on the cross. No, it was his great love for you and for me. That's what kept him on the cross. This is Jesus we're talking about. All right, back, 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 back to Matthew 27. Now the governor... It's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. So they had this custom, Pilate instilled it, that, you know, on uh, uh, Passover, they would release, release someone, kind of as a celebration, kind of uh, to appease the crowd, maybe, to hopefully keep the peace, to let them know that Rome didn't have this iron fist, that, that they could choose anyone, anyone, anyone they'd want, anyone they want, they could choose, and he would release them. What a kind and generous person he was. That was kind of the, the thought that went here. Now, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they present a somewhat sympathetic tone to Pilate. Um, they don't treat him as harshly as you might expect, as he's the one that ultimately decides whether Jesus lives or dies. And yet, as they're telling the story, they show the conflict within Pilate. In verse uh, 19, has his wife, Matthew 27, 19 says, don't have any, his wife is saying, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, emphasis on innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal uh, in a dream because of him. And in John chapter 19, it says, Pilate is saying, saying, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then a little later in John 19, he says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, he's no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be king opposes Caesar. That's kind of their old line, which they never would have said. And of course, at the end of, of chapter 27, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar, was start, an uproar was starting, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. So they're kind of painting him in a, as much of a nice picture as they can. Other historians, you know, that weren't Christians that were just writing of that time, Josephus, Philo, they paint a different picture of Pilate. They use words like stubborn and obstinate and mean and cruel. Even in Luke chapter 13, Luke tells a story about how some, some uh, Galileans went to the temple and Pilate had them executed and he mixed the blood with the sacrifice. Pilate could be a, a, a mean, ruthless guy. But here, 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 it shows the conflict. What's he going to do? He knows, he knows these religious leaders that drag Jesus in, they're, they're, they're so hypocritical. And they're so pompous. What's he going to do? Mark, Mark tells us in a very short order what happens. But wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. 
wanting to satisfy the crowd. How sad is that? You all know, don't you? Following the crowd is usually not a great thing. Jesus is the one that said, wide is the road, and many are on it that leads to destruction. But what did he say? Narrow is the road, and few find it that lead to life. When we follow the crowd, we, we get in trouble. When we follow the crowd, do what they do, uh, just follow along, then that is, that is the, 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 the road that we need to be on, is the road of holiness, the road of righteousness, the road of justice, the road of peace. All right, so he's found the crowd. Back to Matthew 27. Only Matthew has this next thing. Again, why does Matthew say it? Only Matthew, we need to step back. When you read this, Matthew 27, verse 16, at that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name, follow me, was Jesus Barabbas. Did you know Barabbas' first name was Jesus? Only Matthew says that. Mark, Luke, John, they just call him Barabbas. They don't dignify him with his first name of Jesus. But Matthew tells us, this is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas is the revolutionary. Jesus Barabbas is the murderer. He's not, he's not been in prison because of, of some injustice. Jesus Barabbas was a, a guy trying to lead a revolt against the Roman government. It's Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? We still get, we still get that question. Which Jesus are you going to follow after? Which Savior? Remember Savior? That's what Jesus means, Savior. Remember when the angel came to Joseph when Jesus was a baby, what did he say? You're going to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Which Savior do you want, Pilate says. Do you want the Savior that, that thinks he's going to win because of violence? Do you want the Savior that's trying to overthrow the government through intimidation? Do you want the Savior that's, that, that, that thinks the way to bring 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 uh, Israel back to its power is through overthrowing the Romans? Do you think the Savior that's going to eliminate your taxes, eliminate the Romans, is that the Savior you want? Or do you want the Savior who says, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers, which savior are you going to choose? Do you want the savior that says, says I'm going to overthrow this government, whatever it takes? Or the one that says, blessed are the peacemakers. There's a different way, a better way, a way of holiness. Which savior do you want? It's so easy for us to be indignant over the crowd. Oh, I don't know how that crowd could ever choose Barabbas over Jesus. What in the world were they thinking? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, I know exactly how. People have been choosing power and money and people and things over Jesus for centuries. Why would it be different that day? Who's in the crowd? 
The crowd is the religious leaders. Jesus questioned their authority and their power. Who's in the crowd? The money changers and the, and the merchants. He had just flipped over their tables. He'd hurt their business. Who's in the crowd? It's the people who had said, oh, sure, he gave us a free bread and fish lunch, but what has he done for us lately? He hasn't done a thing. Who's in the crowd? It's the Romans. Who, they were apathetic. They didn't care one way or the other. I know people who have chosen power over Jesus, money over Jesus, apathy, they just, you know, whatever. I don't want to think about it over Jesus. Happens all the time, are you kidding me? And I think it boils down to Pilate's question. The big question of this whole passage is verse 22. When Pilate asks this, what shall I do with Jesus? That's the biggest question you will ever answer. In the next service, there's going to be a bunch of teenagers sitting right in these first few rows. If you're an 18-year-old, you, you've got a lot of questions. In five years, you answer questions like, what am I going to do? What college am I going to go to? Maybe I'm going to go in the military. What do I want my career to be? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? A lot of big questions in about five or six years. They're going to be trying to answer them. But the biggest question they will answer is, what am I going to do with Jesus? And it's not just teenagers, it's moms and dads. What am I going to do with Jesus? And it's not just moms and dads, it's senior citizens. What kind of legacy am I going to leave? What am I going to do with Jesus? When they think about me, when my family thinks about me, what are, are they going to think, oh, he was faithful, she was honest, she was true, she was a believer? Or are they going to say, ah, oh, she was this and that and the other thing? What are you going to do with Jesus? I remember when I was a freshman at Olivet, Chapman Hall, 308. Uh, it, was, it was the first time I was away from home. I grew up, you know, my dad had been an alcoholic, but that was before I was born. And so I grew up, I was in church, you know, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You know, I had a drug problem. They drug me to church every time. You know, want to or not, that was never really a question. We, they never asked, you want to go to church today? That was never a question. We're going to church today. <laughs> and so that was how I grew up. And so when I was at Olivet, that was the first time I was away from that. And no one was checking to see if I was in church on Sunday morning. And no one knew exactly. You know, I was at a Christian college, but you could still get in trouble at a Christian college, believe it or not. And so it was fall revival. Tom Hermes was the preacher. Some of you may recognize that name. He's an old-time preacher. And I didn't go down to the altar. I went back to Chapman 308. I don't know where my roommate was, but he was gone. He was gone. He was gone the whole time. And I don't know how long I prayed. I don't, know, I don't remember that. I, my memory is it was a while, a long while. It was more than a two-minute prayer. But it's basically coming down to this. What am I going to do with Jesus? Is he going to be the Lord of my life? Is he, going to, is he the one that I've been hearing about? Is he the one that I've been going to Sunday school to? And Is he the one that I've been hearing sermons about my entire life? Am I going to believe that's true? Or am I going to just go my own way? What am I going to do with Jesus? And it wasn't, you know, I'm getting emotional now talking about it, but I wasn't emotional then. It was, not, it was just me in my room, and there were no tears. I remember that, and I had this, I had this uh, NFL calendar. And I wish I still had it. I don't know where it is. I, I know where it is. You know, Carla, I got married to Carla. She, you know, if it's not nailed down, it's gone. 
But I remember putting on that calendar in big letters, all I wrote, I wrote this, and then I kind of made a star all around it on the calendar on my wall. And it simply said, it's real. And by that I meant, Jesus is real. And what I'm going to do with Jesus, he's going to be Lord of my life. What am I going to do with Jesus? He's going to be king of my life. It was a sanctifying moment where it was just like, all right, Jesus, I'm all in. All in. So it's really a question for us. What are you going to do with Jesus? A sometime follower or an all-in follower? Uh, Jesus is Lord of my life, every being of my life, or not so much? There's a really sad uh, patch. This, this, this book is the cotton patch version. And the cotton patch version uh, of the Bible was written by a guy named Clarence Jordan. It's really a paraphrase. It was written for sharecroppers in the South. He calls it a modern translation with a southern accent, fervent, earthly, earthy, and rich in humor. And this is his translation of the crowd that day in Pilate's response. Howling like a mob, they said, do away with this guy. We want daddy boy. This is the fellow who had been put in jail for inciting a riot in the city and for murder. Again, Pilate addressed them, wanting to release Jesus, but they yelled back, kill him, kill him. A third time, he said to them, why, what is his crime? I found no reason to give him the death penalty, so I'm going to whip him and let him go. But they screamed at the top of their voices, demanding that he be killed. And then the last verse, and their voices won. It's so sad. It's sad because Pilate didn't have to listen to it. It it didn't have to be that way. Just like Judas, it didn't have to be that way for Pilate. He had other voices. He could have listened to Jesus. He He was standing right in front of Jesus. He could have listened to Jesus. He could have he could have listened to his wife. His wife said it had nothing to do with that guy. He had a bad dream about him. He could have listened to that. He could have listened to his own self. His conscience. The Holy Spirit working on him. Why was he conflicted? It was because he knew he knew he knew those religious leaders were just blowhards. He knew the way. He could have listened. He could have he could have made the right choice. Instead, their voices won. Pilate, his, his integrity lost, his influence lost, his, for all we know, his soul was lost. It didn't have to be that way. That's my point. And the question comes down to us. Which Savior are you going to serve? What are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus.